O Lord. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You little vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectations, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. from God our Heavenly Father and Christ Jesus our Lord who is cultivating us for the kingdom. Amen. Is there anything quite like fire? All it takes is flicking a match against a box to strike a flame. That initial light is so weak that even a child can blow it out. But that same blaze can leave a burn that will torment you throughout the night. And that same small, delicate flame can quickly grow into a fierce and unquenchable fire, threatening to destroy everything in its path. In the unfolding climate crisis, we have seen larger and larger wildfires consume massive swaths of the Pacific coast, the Mountain West, Alaska, Siberia, and Australia. Smoke from the fires can cover hundreds of miles, turning the sky a terrifying shade 
of hellish red. And they can send haze and smog thousands of miles further. These infernos threaten to devour everything they touch. Many of us watched in horror in 2016 as the Chimney Tops 2 fire in the Smoky Mountains destroyed more than 2,000 structures. In 2020, wildfires destroyed more than 17,500 homes, businesses, schools, and other buildings in the U.S. alone. And in 2018, the Camp Fire in California ravaged the state destroying nearly 19,000 buildings, and it killed 85 people. It doesn't take much. Yes, down power lines and lightning strikes can start up a blaze, but as the climate continues to change, as drought takes deeper hold in parts of the world, all it takes is something as simple as a car driving over tall, dry grass to light a fire that will unleash scenes of hell on earth. When John the Baptist says, even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And when he says that one is coming after him will, who will separate the wheat from the chaff and burn the chaff in unquenchable fire, it's hard not to hear it as a threat of hell, especially coupled as it is with an address to a brood of vipers. This connection between hell and fire is so strong, in fact, that our modern word for raging fires, when someone says that it is an inferno, they are, in fact, referencing the Italian word for hell. John talks about unquenchable fire, but to what end? St. Luke says that this is how John the Baptist proclaimed what? The good news to the people. But what is good about fire? Is it just for the sake of punishment? Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ would tell us that God delights in punishment as though the Lord is a little pyromaniac pouring gasoline on an anthill, tossing in a match and cackling as it consumes everything and laughs at the ensuing chaos, that then that little pyromaniac starts stacking on leaves and twigs and logs to smite those wretched creatures. The thinking goes that we have made God angry, and so we deserve to be tormented by the flames for all eternity. And if this is who God is, then there is no good news. Because who could escape the wrath to come if God was interested only in meeting out punishment with fiery vengeance? Who could enjoy a heavenly paradise knowing that loved ones, that anyone, that even one person were engulfed in the inferno. But God is not some petulant and spiteful child seeking to harm us. Fires rage and destroy, yes, but that destruction can be used to bring forth something more beautiful. 
One reason that fires have become so much more destructive is not just the ever-changing climate from CO2 emissions and methane emissions, but also because of a conscious decision made by land managers. We spent decades trying to prevent any and all fires. You don't have to be much older than I am to remember those old Smoky Bear campaigns. Only you can prevent forest fires. And the sign that says, Smoky says, care will prevent nine out of 10 forest fires. It was part of a larger zero tolerance policy around forest fires. At the first sign of smoke, the goal was to put it out. But fire is also a natural part of the environment. Relatively small fires occur naturally and clear out dead wood, leaves, and smaller plants. Indigenous Americans and other people around the world noticed this and incorporated these small fires into their agricultural practices, harvesting material before burning away the dead and useless debris. After years of overzealous fire suppression and repressing these native practices, we accidentally built up fuel in the forests, meaning that fires catch more easily, burn hotter, and spread further and faster. Couple this with the changing climate, and it is a recipe for disaster. But land managers are now learning to wield fire more wisely to cultivate the land in such a way as to keep larger blazes at bay, to help local flora to flourish with a return to so-called cultural burns on tribal lands and prescribed burns in other areas. And think about that for just a moment. Picture yourself walking through the woods or along a prairie, and you don't know what's happening, and there's someone out there dressed in fire gear, wearing a mask with a torch, wandering around, setting the landscape alight. It's terrifying. It's downright menacing. But if you know that that person is not merely seeking to destroy, you would know that they were doing the hard work of using fire to carefully cultivate the land. Then a skilled worker can wield the flame to bring back wildflowers where they have been crowded out by other plants to open up cones of the mighty sequoia to prevent calamity later on. Consider then what John the Baptist is saying. God is not an arsonist terrorizing a community. No, God is a farmer ready to do the difficult labor of chopping down that which is not fruitful, to burn it. It's not a punishment, but a way to foster health, to make sure that the productive trees have the most resources, the most nutrients and water, that they can bear more and better fruit. It's like pruning a grapevine. The goal is to ensure the land produces good fruit and that the soil is not depleted by that which does not produce. Threshing and burning wheat stalks isn't about punishing the chaff. It's not like the person who is 
piling it up in the granary, is mad at the chaff, but they're trying to make sure that the wheat is as pure, as nutritious, as delicious as possible, so that it can be ground up to make good flour and to make good bread. Last week, we read the words of the prophet Malachi, promising that God is like a refiner's fire, burning away all the impurities so that silver and gold may be more precious still. We read these passages incorrectly if we see them as being about a divine bloodlust sated by torturous violence, cutting down individuals. Rather, it's about God cultivating a people who will bear good fruit, who can be gathered together into one good loaf of bread, who are more precious than the purest gold. It's about sanctification, about being made holy as God is holy. It's about living as the people that God created us to be. The Lord is chopping out that which is dead in our lives, cutting away the dead wood, cutting away the racism that we hide behind claims of being colorblind, the greed that we cling to out of a disordered desire to always have more, more, more. God is cutting away the bigotry we defend as heritage. The Lord is separating that which is good and holy in us from the chaff, of lust, envy, and arrogance. These things are destined for the flame. Notice what John says to those who come to him to be baptized. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Not just to feel sorry for their actions, but to enter into a new way of living. For those who have sufficient resources to share with those who have need rather than to hoard up. For the tax collector to stop defrauding others. For the soldiers who served as the law enforcement of their day. He says, give up extortion and abusing those people you have been charged to protect. Look, beloved. Behold your life. Not with your own eyes but with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Pray that the Lord will search out the places where you are not bearing good fruit, for the places where sinful chaff has mingled with holy wheat. Cut them out and burn them to make way for the fruit of repentance. Make way for the self-giving love that comes from God. This will be awfully uncomfortable to be certain. For we have grown quite attached to some of these fruitless branches. They feel like they're part of us. And even the humble flame from a matchstick is sufficient to leave us yelping in pain. But that momentary discomfort from pruning away that which leads us to death is nothing compared to the overwhelming joy of new life in Christ through repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Our Lord is coming, more powerful than any mere mortal, the King of the universe, the righteous judge. He came that we might have life everlasting, and he will come again on the last day to purge away all our sin with unquenchable fire. 
on that glorious day when the chains of sin and death are cast at last into the inferno, we will follow him into the kingdom to sit in the shade of his fruitful vineyard, to feast on bread made from the purest wheat and a wine from the finest grape. Amen.